Okay, so um, imagine this. There was a crash, train crash, plane crash, uh, some kind of a large-scale crash. The authorities are on site, and they are sifting through the wreckage, and they're looking for evidence. And there's a, one major question that everybody wants to know. Was this equipment malfunction, or was it, was it uh, operator error? Which one of those two was it? People want to know something. They want to know the answer. Is it something some person did wrong? Can we blame the conductor or the engineer or the pilot or, or whoever that is? Or do we say it's, it, it was an equipment thing that nobody was able to tell was going to happen? Uh, is it something that somebody missed in, in maintenance? It's, it's like we want to know who to be angry at, really. Uh, I'm not sure what it actually does to help us. But, but that's what we want to know. Which one is it? Okay, in, Jesus, in this passage we look at today, Jesus talks about the Word, He talks about the law, He talks about the, the, the stability of God's Word, and He talks about God's people, and He basically lays it online. He says there's nothing wrong with God's law, and there's nothing wrong with God's Word. If there is a problem, <laughs> it's operator error, right? It's not the equipment, it's operator error. The, the Word has, it's not the Word, the Word has not fouled us. Uh, failed us. Uh, God, the law is good. The scripture is accurate. It's how we handle them that causes us problems. So I'm going to read through the passage, and then we'll come back and, and take it apart a little bit. Do not presume, this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so we have the big passage. I'm going to break it down. First of all, verse 17. I want to tell you the law and the prophets are good. Do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now, now, if you're not aware, he's making a, a technical statement there. Uh, when he says the law or the prophets, he is saying by that the entire Old Testament, right? He, he's, he's not saying the, the law, the books of Moses, and the books of prophets of the prophets. He said that, that, that is a phrase. It's a technical phrase. It means the entire Old Testament. We'll come back and we'll look at that a little bit more. He says, I did not come to abolish the law. And here's the thing is we hear that and we say, really? Why not? Wouldn't it be so nice if the law was abolished? do you realize the load that would take off your, your back? The pressure that would relieve you no longer have to, have to deal with this law. The law is killing us, right? We can't keep the law. If you would just, Jesus, if you would just abolish the law, then we could all go to heaven. Isn't that what you want, God? Isn't it that we all go to heaven? So abolish the law, and then we can all go to heaven. It would make things so much simpler. And by the way, Scripture acknowledges that. Uh, let's take a little trip in the book of Romans. In spite of the fact that John loves Romans, I went there anyway. <laughs> Romans chapter 2, verse 12. Okay, Romans, we're, we're, And we're looking at what, what the Bible says about what the law does to us. Right? That, that, that's my purpose in these verses I'm looking at. What, what the law does to us, what the Bible says about what the law does to us. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. 
So it's like, what possible good is the law doing us? The Bible says all the law is going to do is judge us. Unless, by the way, you're the person who's fully kept the law. So if we didn't have the law, it wouldn't be there to judge us. But because we have the law, it's there to judge us. Romans 2.12. Romans 3.10. I don't even have to turn a page for this one. You might have to flip a page. I don't have to flip a page. Neener, neener. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is no one not... There is no righteous person, not even one. I'm sorry, verse 9 is what I wanted. Uh, what then? Are we better than they? Not all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, as it is written. There is none righteous, no, not one. We're all under sin. The law doesn't remove us from sin. It leaves us under sin. It doesn't bail us out. It doesn't do anything from it for us. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. I do have to turn one page for this one, right? Romans number... Chapter 3, verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God. So the law forces us to shut up <laughs> in God's presence, and we can't declare, but I'm, but I'm innocent, or even that I'm not that bad. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to stand before God and say, but I'm not that bad? But the law says, what does it say? It says, it's so that every mouth may be closed. Okay, that's a really nice way of saying it forces you to shut up, right? You have nothing you can say before God. You can try, but you realize, have you ever done that? You're going to say something and you realize there's nothing I can say. And by the way, the best thing you can do when there's nothing you can say <laughs> is to say nothing, right? Because anything you say, you, you know, when, when at some point you stop digging, right? And, and, and that's what he says, that every mouth may be closed. That's what the law does for us. And so Romans 7, we were in, I, I, for some reason, I find myself taking people to Romans 7 so much. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. By the way, that's, that's really interesting to me. It's just, it's just a coincidence, honest that we're looking at Romans 7, 7 to 11. What was our scripture reading? Psalm 19, 7 to 11. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of interesting. Probably not more than that. But what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Far from it. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. In other words, I wasn't a sinner. I was fine. I was happy in my life. My conscience was clear. And then I came across the law. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Apart from the law, sin is dead. Then why do I want the law? Right? Just take away the law. Abolish the law. Jesus, you said you don't come to abolish the law. Please just abolish the law. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Uh, but sin, taking off, I uh, produced covenanting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came to life, and I died. And this commandment, which was to produce result in life, proved to, be, to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, it killed me. And the law is killing me. Please, Jesus, just abolish the law. It's killing me. I cannot bear up under this. It is too much for me. It's not just me. It's, it's Scripture. The law is perfect. By the way, I pulled out a King James Bible to read Psalm 19, 7 to 11. Anybody know why? Because I'm going to sing it. <laughs> oh, but this has got teeny tiny little print. <laughs> the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. 
the testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold. How many of you remember this? More they than much fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. Once upon a time, when all Christians read the King James Bible, the pastor would stand up and say, turn to Psalm 19, we're going to sing it, and the whole church would stand up and sing it. This is, I'm not, now I'm not a King James only fan, and I don't, I'm not even preaching from the King James, I'm not that pastor, right? But wouldn't it be nice, because imagine if we tried to do that right now. <laughs> Everybody open up, find your Bible, or in your Bible, find Psalm, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. We're going to sing it. Sing the words you find there. And we would find out, you would find out what the word cacophony means. Because <laughs> it would sound like we were all babbling in different things. Uh, but but that's, the, that's what the Bible says about the Word of God. Okay, I'm going to come back and get this thing just the right distance from my eyes. Uh, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey from the honeycomb. And how God's word is perfect. And, and, and it may sound arrogant for God's word to say, by the way, I'm perfect. <laughs> but, but it does. It reveals to us it is perfection. Well, that's why the law kills us, by the way. That's why the law kills us, because it is perfect and, and we're not. There is, there is not. It is not anything wrong with the law that says the law may, shows I'm in trouble. But, but, but you know, if I can take a picture from the book of Amos without quoting Amos, if I am a crooked wall and I put a, a straight level on it and I find out the wall is crooked, I'm a builder. I have to do something about that wall. I don't do something about my level. I mean, you might check it. You know, the easy way to check a level, if the bubble looks off, you turn it around the other way. And if the bubble's off the same way, the wall is wrong. If the bubble's off different, it's something wrong with your level. <laughs> okay, but there's nothing wrong with the law. But the law measures us, and we're measured against it. And the law is killing us because we're not straight. We're not right. We're not good. And the law is killing us because what? We deserve to die. And it is perfect, and we are not. It's not that there is something wrong with the law. It's that there's something wrong with me. So I read Romans 7, uh, 7 through 11. Let me add verses 12 and 13 to that. I should have kept my finger there, but I didn't because I'm crooked. <laughs> Romans 7. So I read through verse 11. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. Verses 11 and 12. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. My sin is what is killing me. And I would like to blame the law. Because I, from my perspective, I'm fine, and it's the law that's got the problem, but that's not the reality. The reality is it's me. So imagine this. There are two things out there. One of them is perfect, and the other is not, and you're going to abolish one or the other. Are you going to abolish the perfect one? And, just, and the funny thing is, the first answer you're going to say is, no, I'm going to abolish the imperfect one. But wait a minute. The imperfect one is not a threat to you. It's the perfect one that is the threat. I, I've, I've never actually watched Survivor. 
I've watched like this much of it and said, I cannot stand this show. <laughs> and, but I understand the concept of survivors. You vote people off the island. And if I understand it right, someone can tell me, Steve, you completely botched it. Uh, but if I understand the island, the, the, the concept right, you vote the person off who is the biggest threat to you. Not the person who is the worst person for surviving, but the person who is the biggest threat to your survival because they are better than you. Right? And because it's like a survival of the fittest thing, right? And so you don't get rid of the, the, the worst guy, you get rid of the best guy. Because he's the one who's the threat to you. If I understand it right, maybe I've just slandered online, slandered uh, <laughs> the show, but I think that's the idea behind it. The, the, the perfect is a threat to the imperfect. And since there are, uh, there's a vast, larger majority of us who are imperfect, we get to vote and get rid of the perfect. How easy that makes it. We can abolish the law ourselves. God will not do that. God will not do that. He will abolish that which is sinful, not that which is perfect. The law is perfect, and we are sinful. What does that do for us? So let's come back to Matthew chapter 5. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And I want to talk to you about the word fulfill. It's a really good word. The word is plerosa or pleroma. Don't expect you to know anything or do anything with that. But the word, here, here's how it defines, defines uh, the word pleroma that means fulfill. Fulfillment, a fulfilling, full performance, <laughs> the act of fulfilling. I think fulfill is a good definition, a good word to use to translate this word. He will fulfill the law. So what does fulfill mean? Well, let's think about it. What, what do you fulfill? You might fulfill a promise, Right? You make a promise you're going to do something. When you keep your promise, you have fulfilled that promise. You might fulfill a contract, right? Under the terms of your contract, you have to do X, Y, Z in order to satisfy the claims of the contract. And in return, the person you have the contract with has to fulfill X, Y, Z or give you money, you know, or whatever it is. And you have the contract. And you fulfilled your terms of the contract when you do what your side says. Uh, and once you fulfill it, it is complete. Right? Once you fulfill it, it is done. You have fulfilled your word. You don't have to keep fulfilling your word because you've done it. You have fulfilled your contract. You don't have to keep fulfilling your contract because you have done it. Right? And once you fulfill it, it is complete. And what do you do with it? For instance, you, you take out a loan. You pay off the loan. But then you keep on sending money to the bank. What are you, an idiot? <laughs> you, you don't do that because it has been fulfilled. It has been completed. You know, where, does, where does a loan go when it's fulfilled? It's like, yeah, it's like, is there a place where old loans go, like an old loan rest home, you know, where, where they go and they just sit around together and talk about what days were like before they were fulfilled? You know, uh, it's, it's like, where do they, they just, they're just gone. They are, they are a thing of the past. They are simply not present. That's what fulfills it, okay? Let's look at it a little bit differently. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. For instance, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, uh, uh, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the nations, out of you will come one who is of old, who is something more. <laughs> Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, And it saith, Verily, 
I got the King James in my head. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ at his birth uh, 2,022 years ago, give or take, depending on what year he was actually born, right? It was fulfilled. We don't look for that to be fulfilled anymore, right? Uh, do, do, you, do you go back to Bethlehem every year and say, I wonder if it's going to happen again? And the answer is, no, you don't, because it was fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled prophecy, and the prophecies that he fulfilled are fulfilled. They are complete. They are done, right? That's what it means to fulfill a prophecy. Well, Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Guess what else he fulfilled? He fulfilled the law. Whoa, it's starting to sound really exciting. <laughs> Jesus came to fulfill the law, isn't it? He came to fulfill the law. He completed to the law. He completed. The, it went to that place where old prophecies go, <laughs> he, whatever that place where old contracts go, right? It went there. It went there for everyone who has come to Christ in faith. And everyone who has not come to Christ in faith is hanging on to that contract. And if I can be so cruel and rude, I'll say, what are you, an idiot? Why would you do that? Why would you hang on to that? Why would you insist on paying that debt that you don't have to pay? He completed the law. It's gone where old, fulfilled things go. Uh, to him, those who do not receive this gift of faith, the law is still in effect. And choosing to, make, to, 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 to live by the law makes as much sense as paying a bill you don't owe anymore. I don't know about you. I have ne I'm never yet guilty of paying a bill I don't owe or, or paying, making an extra payment once I'm done paying, right? I, I don't know about you. And I'm not the world's most cautious guy. I'm kind of an idiot when it comes to bills. They send me a bill. I send them money, <laughs> assuming they're right. But I don't pay bills I don't owe. Uh, why would you do that? Jesus fulfilled the law by meeting all of its terms and by bringing it to completion. That's what he did for us. Now, why is Jesus saying these things? Why is, why is he saying these things about this? Uh, because, and, and apparently these people had a false hope. They had a false hope that because they could see Jesus was, was not like anybody they'd seen before. This is early in his ministry. We're in Matthew chapter 5, right? Out of 28 chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. It's chapter 5. It's early in his ministry, right? It's, it's early in his ministry. He's just starting to do things, but people can tell he's different. He is teaching in a way they've never heard teaching before. Right? He is doing miracles, signs, and wonders. He is speaking with authority, and they're, they're just, they're, they are in awe of him, and they're thinking, they, I think they recognize already. They, they're, they're not saying the question out loud, but is he the Messiah? Is he the one? Is he changing things? And one of the things, the thing they most hope he's going to change is the law. Are you going to abolish the law? And so, so he preempts them. And he says, he says uh, do not presume that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. Like he cuts it out from under him before he starts anything else. No, I'm, I'm not changing the law. I'm not abolishing that uh, because the law is good. The people were hoping for a change that would make things easier. And, and, and the only way that seems to them that will make things easier is if he abolishes the law. But God is not so narrow-sighted, nearsighted as that. God is thorough, and he does it right. And he's going to, in effect, abolish the law for us, but not by getting rid of it, but by completing it. Because the law is, is good, 
and we are the ones that are, are at fault. We are the ones that fail. T- Jesus is, is, is the one who would announce the change, but he doesn't announce the change. He announces the progression. The progression, the progression is different from a change. He did not change the law. He fulfilled the law. He took it from as far as anybody could get it, and he took it the rest of the way to completion, and he fulfilled the law. The New Testament does not repeal the Old Testament. The New Testament progresses on the Old Testament. The, the, the New Testament constantly, and, 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 and if you're not familiar with this, you, you just need to read your Bible more. The New Testament constantly quotes the Old Testament, not to negate it, but to fulfill it. This is what it meant when it said, right? And, and it will do these things. And Jesus says things like what he says here. And, and it quotes the Old Testament as authoritative. Jesus refers to, to Jonah. Jesus refer, refers to Abraham. Jesus refers to the books of Moses. He, he's fulfilling the Old Testament. He's showing the validity of the Old Testament. He doesn't do anything to take anything away. He does not repeal anything. He progresses with it. So the first statement we have here in, in this little three chat verses of, of, of Matthew, is that the law is good, and it's not going anywhere. And then he makes this really key statement that, the, by the way, the law is sound. And when I say sound, let me read it. Uh, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. And one of the first things people do when they're trying to escape the authority of the Bible is say, well, it's a corrupted book. And it is, it, it just, I, I, my mind just reels over the fact that Jesus was saying this in the year 30, right? In the, we are not doing anything different today when we attack the validity of the Bible than apparently they were doing then, because he had to defend the validity of the Bible then. And you go, you got to be kidding me, really? And the answer is, well, why else? Does he talk about the validity of the Bible? He, what's it, what does he say? I t- say to you, heaven and earth will pass, may pass away, but not the smallest letter. Uh, the, the, in, the, in the Greek is, is Yoda. I, I, not the little character, but Iota. <laughs> uh, Iota, the smallest letter. It's like our letter I without a dot. Uh, and, and he says, not, not, not an Iota is going to change in the word. Not, nothing is going to be lost. Not the smallest slash is going to be taken from the law. Uh, it's going to be fulfilled. Uh, uh, shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. He's saying that God's word is sound. Uh, this is Jesus' answer to whether we can trust the question of the Bible, to the question of whether we can trust the Bible we have. And, and, and so do you really want to argue with Jesus about this? Because people do it all the time. And they'll say, well, but this, is a, uh, this could be a twisted text too. I'm going, how far are you going to go on this? Uh, at some point, you either trust. This is this is 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 absolutely basic to our concept of trusting the Bible. Uh, God says, "My written word remains intact." You want to challenge him on that? Say, "Uh-uh, I don't think so." And they start by saying, well, but is that God's written word? And they start challenging that, and they challenge all these things. And people like to put on their lawyer brains, you know, and start, start dissecting it and seeing if they can find fault with what they're finding in there. And, and, and we can talk about variations in the Greek manuscripts. Well, there's this many Greek manuscripts, and, and uh, there's this variation, and there's that variation, and how do you know which one you can trust? And we can talk about those kind of things. And we can talk about the validity of translations. Right? We can talk about, well, this translation versus this translation, and I like this one, and I don't like this one, and I don't know how many translations we have in here, but I know we have NIV, New American Standard, ESV, uh, New King James, Old King James, 
Do we have living translation? We don't need to show hands. I'm sure you know, we, we've got we've got probably within this group we probably have eight translations of the Bible, who, which all say things a little bit differently. So how can we say not one jot or iota? And we and we we're putting on our legalistic lawyer brains looking for ways to find fault what he said. Uh, you know, there, and I'm not saying there's not questions that we have, but I am absolutely confident that when the dust settles and all these answers are, are, are revealed, we will look and say, wow, God was right. <laughs> right? We can find problems, and what that means is it means we're, find, we're having problems with our understanding of what we're seeing. Okay? Uh, I, 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 God has proven himself reliable often enough. He's proven himself true often enough. He's proven himself right often enough that I'm, <laughs> I, just, I look at that, and I, I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to, to, to think about it, uh, critically or skeptically or, to, or to, to make the Bible prove it. In fact, I will tell you this. When you challenge the Bible, do it honestly and explore it. Because I am confident of this. And I say I'm confident of this because I have done this. Because I was struggling with what I considered to be the, the legitimacy and the reliability of Scripture. And as I challenged it, you know what I found out? God's Word can handle the exploration. God's word can handle the study. Now, for me to say, no, don't do that because uh, it would be wrong, I'm saying I'm, I'm protecting God's word because I think it can't handle the scrutiny. Right? It's, faith is not afraid of scrutiny of God's word. Okay? We should not be afraid to take the time and do the work and find out because the, the fun thing is, is, as you do that, it just the Bible wins. The, you know, Jacob wrestled with the angel all day, all night long. The angel he is, is the Lord, pre-incarnate Lord. And, he, and he, we know that because he says, what's your name? Why do you ask my name? Because it's wonderful. <laughs> right? and, and, and finally, the angel touched his socket and Jacob, Jacob let him go. Jacob could not beat him, but he wrestled with him all night long. And he got blessed because he did. Right? Uh, we win by wrestling with God. Not, we're not wrestling with him to beat him. But we do are wrestling to gain a blessing from him, and we do as we do this. So don't be afraid of challenging God's word. But I'm telling you, God's word will come out on top to the honest person who does honest uh, looking at these things. It, it does it again and again. God's word is sound, and it's fascinating to me that Jesus addresses this issue here because we're used to people challenging the Bible in our day, but we think that couldn't have happened then. But you know, what? in their day, they had liberals. Jesus said what? Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> a liberal, okay, in case, in, I'm not speaking about politics, <laughs> okay, I'm talking about what we call liberals in, the, in, in, in our religious world. A liberal is someone who takes liberties with Scripture, okay? Uh, they take liberties with Scripture and they say, I will accept this part, but not this part. I will, I will recognize this, but I don't accept uh, the books of Peter. And by the way, people do that. I don't accept Jude. I don't accept Revelation. I don't accept Hebrews. And people sit as judge on Scripture of what they will do or, or what they will say, or they'll say, I don't like this passage or I don't like that passage, so I'll just, just dismiss it. It happens all the time. People do that. All, well, they had people doing that then. In their day, the Sadducees accepted the books of Moses only. So remember I said it's really significant that Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets? He was pinpointing the liberals of his day. He was pinpointing them and saying, I'm not abolishing the law or the prophets. And they're going, but we don't accept the prophets. And he's going, it's God's word. Whether you accept it or not, it's still God's word. And, and so this was an issue in their day. And Jesus lets them know that all of Scripture is Scripture. And he says, it's under God's protection. 
Because when he says not one, one jot or tittle, King James, stroke of smallest letter or stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it's all accomplished, he's saying there's a reason that we, I'd say this. He's not saying this because he knows prophetically by chance it's going to endure. He's saying that because he knows who is protecting it. He knows who is guarding it. So in the spite of all of our contradictions or, you know, quote, contradictions or challenges or difficulties or translations or different interpretations, right, in spite of all those things, somebody named God is protecting his word. We can trust God's word. doesn't mean we can trust every translation because there are some bad ones out there. I, could, I have a special section on my shelf in there. I can pull out the Jehovah's Witness New Kingdom translation. Bad translation. I don't keep it with my other Bibles because I think God would blast me if I had it with my good Bibles. It would catch on fire. <laughs> Probably not. I've got a Bible called the Inclusive Bible. Our Father, Mother, who art in heaven. <laughs> yeah, I saw the face. Uh, poor Rachel. She's getting called out. She went, ooh. <laughs> Which is, by the way, the right response. But I've got, I've got it. It's a bad translation. I'm not saying all translations are good. There are such things as bad translations. I keep them because I, sometimes I want to reference a bad translation. I want to point out that there are such things. Uh, but God's law is under God's protection. And we can trust it. So we have these two things right now. We have the law is good and the scripture is sound. That's a setup for a really big problem if there's still a problem when we recognize the law is good and scripture is sound. Because verse 19, Therefore, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. There are issues that we have great division over, and there are issues that we have smaller, more particular divisions over. So large divisions, when I say this, for instance, within this thing we call Christianity, there are those people who say, well, it's not really God's word, or it contains God's word, or they'll say, you can find God's word in it, and they're talking about the Bible, and there are people who say the Bible is God's word, okay? That's a huge division, okay? In, by the way, the reason you're here is because you agree that we say the Bible is God's word, right? That's, that's, if you did not believe that, you would not have settled in this church. You'd have decided a long time ago, right? This is not the place for me because I don't want to accept that kind of authority of God's word in my life. But, but you are here because you say that is what I believe. You, you have, but you are on one side of the, by the way, you're on the right side of the division. <laughs> uh, but it's a huge division whether you accept God's word or it's authoritative. You're, it is a huge division whether you say there is salvation in Christ alone, through faith alone, right? Because the, you, you could easily be going to a church that says, well, you know, all beliefs really lead to the same God. And, and don't ever take that out of concept. I'm pointing to somebody there because I don't want to blame anybody here. You know, I heard Pastor Steve say all the religions lead to the same God. <laughs> no, that, please keep it in context. We, they don't. Uh, but th that's one of the large divisions uh, within God's word. Uh, the, the, the teaching that all religions are the same, it's a, it's a large division between this thing we call Christianity. And, and you guys are off the hook. You come here because you, we take what we call a high view of Scripture. We do not judge Scripture. Scripture judges us. We do not stand in authority over it. It stands in authority over us. Uh, we are right in that. I'm confident in that. It doesn't necessarily mean we're right in everything else because there's a lot of smaller issues that, that, that we could get into. And I don't want to get... I started writing some down. 
And I thought, man, I'm going to start a fight over every one of these. <laughs> and, 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 and besides that, we could get bogged down and take forever uh, dealing with some of these issues. Because the smaller issues may still be big, and we may take our stands, and we may feel that these things are really important, and maybe they are. Uh, but I want to show you a principle instead from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And all of you Awana people should say, oh, yeah. If you're not aware, the Awana, Awana stands for approved workmen are not ashamed. And it comes out of 2 Timothy 2.15, which in the King James says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, that's not the way it says it in my New American Standard here. It says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling, handling the word of truth. Now, I don't know about you. I do a lot of work that I look at and I'm not real proud of. <laughs> Sometimes I just confirm to myself how inept I am at things. For instance, I built the rack this thing's hanging on. Do you know how long it took me to get those things to stand straight? Because they're not, and I tried. <laughs> I thought I was looking at a half-hour project, and I worked all morning on that, on that Saturday morning, and, and, and then I stood them up, and they go, wank. <laughs> I'm just telling you, when it comes to that, an, approved, an unapproved workman, somewhat ashamed. <laughs> it's, he says, do this with God's word. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of God. When it comes to handling God's word, do your best to be accurate. Okay, And, and on, honest people uh, can come to different conclusions working their best to be diligent to handle God's word accurately. Okay. One really nice thing about honest people who do that, and when they meet other people who come to a different conclusion, they're able to respect it because they're able to see a biblical basis for the difference. You know, there are lots of things that, that, that I see where I have taken my position, and I will defend my position. And I could give examples, but I don't want to go there. <laughs> but I have to acknowledge. I'll, I'll throw one out. I'll say, when's the, when's the rapture going to happen? Because Paul's undoubtedly right, and I'm wrong, but that's beside the point. <laughs> is, is I see his position, I disagree with it, but I can respect that, because I recognize how he has a biblical basis for his belief. And I hope he thinks I have a biblical basis for mine, because I think I do, right? And we have our biblical basis of disagreement. The smaller issues can be big, but there's a principle of rightly handling God's word, and the key is to work at it, to try. The, the success is to remember, the success in handling God's word is to recognize it is the authority and not you. And if you are recognizing God's word is the authority and not you, then you can yield to God's word and even sometimes change your, your position as God reveals something to you in your word. Uh, so don't go to the Bible looking for ways to prove your point. Go to the Bible looking for what it says and change your point to agree with what it has. Because the Bible is the one that, that is, is, is inspired. The Bible is the one that is protected. And we are the ones who make mistakes. So we go to the Bible that way. Go to the Bible and let it says what it says. And so, so we do not nullify God's word, at least we don't try to. And I want to tell you, what does he say next and teaches others to do the same? 
That phrase terrifies me. I, that phrase never leaves me. <laughs> it's, it's always lurking in the back of my Because I teach a lot. I preach or I teach in one setting or another. And I do it a lot. And, and sometimes I'm teaching my position or my take on a passage that I am convinced I'm right on, but I know there's people who biblically disagree with me on biblical basis. I know I am not guaranteed to be infallible, and yet I'm teaching people sometimes things that they may, uh, I don't, I don't want to know. I'm not, you know, I'm not worried about being great in the kingdom of heaven or small in the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what I'm worried about is, is being right before God. I, it's, it's like, if God, and, and he does, if God calls you to present his word and to do it right, take that seriously. And by the way, and I say, and he does, because your, your platform may be different than mine, right? Your platform may be different than mine. It may be personal, one-on-one, -on -one, here and there, on an occasional even. Uh, but he does call on you to present his word. You know, we go back to let your light shine, to be salt. And teaches others to do the same. It's addressed to all of us, but I, I, I just want to tell you, uh, I don't like it because it's addressed to me more than it is to you. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 1. Do not let many of you become teachers, my brethren, because we know that those who teach are held to a higher, or judged with a stricter judgment. Okay? Uh, I, it scares me. I feel worried. I don't, don't feel worried, like I said, about being great or small, but I don't want to fail God. Uh, we are responsible for what we teach. And he who holds, who does not nullify God's word will be called great in God's kingdom. But he who does nullify God's word will be called small in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, that's where the passage ends. Gloomy, isn't it? <laughs> okay, let's all go home and mope. Uh, <laughs> Romans 9, verse 6. Back in Romans again. <laughs> One of those places your Bible should naturally flop to. Romans 9, 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. And he goes on, he says, For they are not all Israel who descended from Israel. Though God's word does not fail, we fail. God's word does not fail, we fail. Okay? There's a crash. The authorities are out there. They're looking to see, is it operator error? Is the equipment malfunction? It's always, in this case, it's always going to be operator error. When it comes to handling God's word, his word is good. The problem is what we do with it if we mess it up. Gloomy ending, I don't want to stop there. And that's good because Jesus uh, doesn't stop there either. He says, he who keeps and teaches them, he shall be great in the kingdom of heaven. And so make it your goal to be that person. Now, now, what is not my goal, by the way, is to terrify you so that you say I'm not going to teach and therefore avoid the problem. <laughs> uh, you don't have to be officially a teacher. You don't have to be in a class or in an office. We all have that position of share. Somebody's going to ask you the reason of the good, good news that is within you at some point, and, and you're going to have to respond to that. Make it your goal to be that person who teaches and teaches God's word rightly. Who, who handles it well. Make it your goal to be that person. Recognize, and if you do this, recognizing how great God's word is. You know, one of the, uh, this is a little bit of a testimony. I'll share more of the testimony. I'm going to share part of Kathleen's testimony. Going, going to go back, I don't know how many years it was, 
Madison, their daughter, was one of our Awana kids. Madison's somewhere in her 20s now. It's at least 10 years ago, I think. And, and Kathleen, not saved, Awana mom, called me to ask me about these things her kids were learning at Awana. And so I met with Kathleen, and she instantly put me on the spot. She started asking me all the hard questions. What does the Bible really say about homosexuality? What does the Bible really say about people who go to heaven who never heard of Jesus Christ? Does the Bible teach that hell is real? Now, knowing I was talking to a woman who had not trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior, I started with the assumption she's not going to like anything I say. And I'm a coward. Didn't know that about me, now you do. I'm a coward, so I do the only thing I know how to do. I make the Bible speak for me. <laughs> and I, I went to passages and read to her what the Bible said about those different subjects. And she thanked me, and I left. And I thought, well, that's the last I see of her. Hope her kids were blessed by the time they had in Awana. Because <laughs> I was sure I defended everything about her to the core. And instead, her response was, you're the first person to ever answer me from the Bible. Which is, I'm not trying to kudo myself and put a slap on the back, but, but the Bible, where the answers really are, is where the power is. Uh, and, and, and if we teach the Bible by letting the Bible speak what it actually says, and I, and I use Kathleen, for those of you who don't know Kathleen, they're not here today because Dan who was saved after Kathleen, is up preaching, I think, in Northport today. <laughs> and you say, is God good? And the answer is, oh, yes, he is. <laughs> you know? Um, make it your goal to be that person who accurately handles the word of God, uh, treating it as the authority and, and the rule and the standard that it is. Recognize how great God's word is. Treat it as something as great as it is and teach it as such. And as you, as you make God's word your authority, you will not be nullifying the word of God. You will not be that person who is least in the kingdom of heaven. You will be that person who is great in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Jesus says, and that's what we find in this passage. Let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you I thank you for this word you've given us that we can treat with absolute confidence that your word speaks, that your word acts. Father, that your word is powerful. Let us respect it and honor it and use it the way you intend us to do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.